Hey, Chelsea. Hey, Emily. Who do we get to talk to this week who is so amazing? Oh my God, it's Jessica Vosk. Jessica Vosk. How would you describe Jessica Vosk in one sentence or three words? Let's do that. How would you describe Jessica Vosk in three words? A fucking delight. A fucking delight. I love her so much. Love her. We talked to her earlier this week and we wanted to make sure that Jessica could say everything that was on her mind. So we are coming back and finishing up some of the stuff that we need to fill in the holes with, but um, please enjoy this episode with Jessica Vosk. I'd like to propose a toast. Welcome to Wines and Dolls, a podcast where Chelsea and Emily wine and talk about musicals. Welcome. Wine is a double one time drop. Hello, everyone. Both kind of hyperventilating to be totally square with you. <laughs> Wear it out, sis. This is our first time doing this structure. So thank you for being our guinea pig. I'm good at, I'm good at guinea pigging. Good. I need that on a t-shirt. I'm good at guinea pigging. We'll put it on our Zazzle shop. I feel like that might be dirty. I would wear it. Excellent. Okay. Well, are you, are you ready to begin? So ready. Never been more ready. We could do this, you guys. Welcome to Wines and Dolls. Well, hi, I'm Emily. I'm Chelsea. Hi. And who's with us? My name is Jessica Vosk. It's Jessica Vosk. We've only talked about her like a bajillion times on the podcast before. So if you don't know who she is yet, go back and listen. Yeah, damn it. Loki, we talk about you a lot. <laughs> Look, I, I'm, I'm going to take it. This is, I'm honored by this. It's such a whirlwind of amazing that you're here. And so we're so excited that you're here to cover Drunk Wicked. So excited. This thrills me. And if any, you know, for those who think I'm insane, like I just got Crocs. I saw that on your story. They're so cute. And they have these like charms that you can put on them now. I'm not a Croc aficionado. This is not an ad for Crocs, although send me some free shit. There's little things you can put on them. And one of them is a fanny pick. It's not a uterus. It looks like a uterus. It's a fanny pick. Oh my God. And, uh, and that, that slays me guys. And that's the type of crazy I am. It's like, did I get an outdoor pair? Yeah. And an indoor pair? Yeah, I did. That's your ass. Okay. Uh-huh. You're, you're ahead of the trend, I feel like. I know a couple people who are like, Crocs are going to make their, ba- their comeback. Just you wait. And, and I never put on a pair of Crocs, and it's like walking around wearing a skirt on your feet. You get a slight breeze. It's a very Marilyn Monroe moment without feeling like you're showing any, any you know, ta-ta-tutu. And, and that's what it is, to be real. It is. You catch a breeze in there and you're like, oh, Mr. President, you know? Crocs is gonna, you can't steal that Crocs. That is TM over yeah, here. Yeah, that's right. Unless you want to provide me and my family with a supply of Crocs. What are you drinking? Hey, Chelsea. I am, what am I not drinking? I feel like that's my question every week. I currently yeah. have in front of me tea. I have collagen peptide smoothie. And I have a ginger ale just in case uh, Chelsea doesn't want to drink alone, but it is alcohol free. So it just has ale in the name. So I figured it was appropriate. Hey, Chels. Hey, Emily. What are you drinking? Iced tea from Hugs and Donuts. I've got a La Croix and some rosé, a little rosé in my, my lovely glass. It's a 
11.16, it's quarantine time. I'm home all day. I, what the fuck else am I gonna do? That's, there's, there is no time. And what is time? What is that? Uh, time anyway is a motherfucking construct. So I, I, um, I can't tell you how right you are. Thank you. We're having several beverage choices, but making one of them, the rosé kind, because rosé is like, it's baby aspirin. You know what I mean? At 11 a.m., you know, you're not, you're not, you're not giving us a shot of vodka and some, you know, gold schlager. Not yet. No. Exactly. That's for noon. Correct. Hey, Jessica. Yeah. What are you drinking? You know what? I have a little sassy spindrift on the side. Okay. <clears throat> and then I have my tumbler of Ooh. cold brew. Is it spiked? I don't know. That's between you and your tumbler. That's between me and my tumbler and Jesus. Hey, Chels. Hey, Emily. What are you whining about? I'm gonna, I guess it's sort of a sparkling wine. I went to Facebooks and I was like, hey, I want to send letters to people. Let's support USPS. Let's get this going. And I, w I tried to go buy stamps this morning because I had like 25 people reach out to me. And I'm like, I rode away all day, a couple days ago, went to get stamps this morning. There's like a motherfucking line out the office. And I, I got to find a different place to get stamps because I can't wait all day for that. So it's a good and a bad. I like to see people there and supporting, but also I'm like, oh, fuck, I just need stamps. Hey, Emily, what are you whining about? Hey, Chelsea. Um... I, too, have a sparkling wine. We met Michael and Kim and Ashley Kate Adams at multi-hype, and so I did the reunion yesterday, and so I got to see all of, all of their lovely faces. And if you would like to do multi-hype out there, listeners, they are uh, opening up enrollment September 1st for their third session. That will happen in September. So check that out on BYOP under, underscore NYC. Bring your own producer, New York City. Love it. Hey, Jessica. Hey. What are you whining about today? Well, mine is also like a sparkling wine as well. And like with, a, you know, like just throw that shit in there with like a whole bottle of champagne and like some bubbles because I took, a, I took an impromptu getaway and it was like in the middle of the woods and... I'm, oh, I grew up sort of in the middle of the woods. For everybody who thinks that New Jersey is just automobiles and anger, I just wanted <laughs> to say it's not. There's a part of New Jersey that is like woodsy. Everybody live your dreams. That's where I grew up. And so I miss it so much when I'm like, you know, I'm, I've been living the city life for a very long time now. And I haven't left since the cocoa began. And it was one of those things where one of my friend called me and was like, do you just want to go? It was at like two o'clock and I was like, should we leave at four o'clock? And we just did. We just left. And it was completely on a whim. Um, they had a house in the Poconos. We went and it was like living my, my almost dirty dancing dreams. Like I didn't meet anybody there because I can't date right now in the Coco. And like now I'm going on a tangent of of dating in the Coco. Oh, tangent um, away. Tangent away. It's like I drive in the Poconos and like, oh my God, there's a, oh, look at that guy in that pickup truck. Like it was a little too, um, the, the where we were was a little too like hashtag I might like Trump. So I was like, mm, I can't. But it's also full of the types of men who 
just they chop wood for a living. They don't know how good looking they are. So you run into them in the supermarket and you're like, you watch them walking around. They just don't understand the fact that they're such a gladiator that when you, they don't have the, they just don't know. And so I kind of want to have my queer eye moment with some guy in the woods who's like, I built this log cabin. I, you know, that's what I did. That's how I make a living. I like build fires for people. What do you need? And I'll be like, I don't know. I need everything. So, and like, so there's my sparkling wine experience. I'm back. I needed, I probably need a couple more days of a getaway to be totally 100, but it was perfection. I imagine you're like, I need a washboard. I'll just use your abs. I, that, that's not a problem. I would, you know, I, the, whatever grocery stores we were in up there, which are, you know, no name mom and pop grocery stores. I, I saw a guy that I was like, sir, oops, I dropped my stevia like that. And that's how, you know, I'm not from there. Cause they're all like, what's that? And they have Southern accents. Maybe they all do. That's only my favorite accent next to Australian. You come down to Texas. That's all I want. I, yeah, I love Texas. Fucking hot right now, though. Oh, yeah. No, thanks. That's where I started Wicked was in Houston, Texas. My first rehearsal city, and it was in the dead of summer. And I know that Houston heat. And uh, it ain't for me. Good segue. Segu into the next thing. So you're... Let's say you're in the elevator with your idol and they say, who are you? Give us your elevator pitch. Hi, my name is Jessica Vosk. I know that you think I'm in my 20s. I'm in my 30s. I have had a couple of different careers. You might call me a chameleon. I've started out in business and finance. I decided it wasn't for me. My passion was singing and I wanted to try my hand at being on Broadway. I left my finance job, blown in the wind, Without a safety net, didn't know what was going to happen. Pounded the pavement, worked my ass off. Tried to get in every single room. It paid off a couple of years later. Um, and in addition to a couple of really cool, like, aha moments that I had, I then made my Broadway debut at age 30, which I understand is about 800 in musical theater years for everybody who's graduating college right now and decided to become a Broadway star. I understand that I have started late in the game, one might call me old. And um, I actually kind of love it. I've had a very cool past couple of years. I've done four Broadway shows in like two or three years time. Um, I've done tours and regional work and I've been very lucky to have had uh, an album kickstarted and funded. And, you know, since my idol is Celine Dion and she's asking me these questions. In the elevator, I'd say like, Celine, I also do impressions of you. You can all, you can bring me with you to do Broadway impressions of you. Um, it will cost you. I don't do that for free anymore. <clears throat> but <clears throat> we all go through our moments, Celine, Dion, and, um, and this is mine. And I am still ready to, I always hustle my ass off. I'm still ready to take over the world at, at any given time. Um, and now that we're in the Coco Roro, uh, I'm... I'm bored in the house and I'm in the house bored, but I'm also still living my dream and like making shit happen. Thank you, Celine Dion. Beautiful. That was great. Yes. Wondering if you could do, I mean, I'll pay you for it. I have about $5 right now. Can you do, I'm bored in the house and I'm in the house bored with Celine Dion? I'm bored in the house and I'm in the house bored. I'm burning the house, and I'm in the house. 
bless this day. Oh, thank you for that. Yes. Okay, so our first career question is, what inspired you to get into the performance industry? Gosh, I, I just have always loved everything that has to do with creativity and artistry. And when I was a kid, my parents were always um, either playing, you know, music, taking us to live concerts, introducing us to, uh, you know, old school artists, which is sort of what has paved the way for me and my inspiration to become a singer, because I grew up sort of with Crosby, Stills, Nash, Young, Joni Mitchell, Linda Ronstadt, um, you know, and then later on in life, Whitney Houston, Mariah Carey, Celine Dion, like just the whole shebang. But my parents were always very much uh, of the opinion that, you know, art is a huge and healing and helpful part of life. And so I would spend hours and hours in my room just deconstructing cast albums or pop songs or rock songs or understanding what harmony is or teaching myself. And I, I just wanted, it was like I was bit by the bug pretty young and I knew that I needed to have a life in there that, that was fulfilled artistically somehow. And I was lucky enough, you know, when I went to high school in the rolling hills of New Jersey. I had the, I had a music teacher who was very, very specific and saying, you know, you have to learn to read music. You have to take choir. You have to take theory. Um, so I became this nut. I became a junkie about about dissecting music and reading sheet music and, and blending and understanding what that meant and finding my voice. And then I started taking vocal lessons at 15 in New York City and met my vocal coach who I you know, still to this day, credit for why I sing the way I sing. And my parents never did the thing where they were like, ugh, art, it's not important. You know, my dad had a band when he was younger. My mom is an artist who paints and draws, you know, in addition to their real jobs that they had. So they came from the baby boomer generation of like, but you still have to make a living. So that was the only like discrepancy, I think, that we had as far as like why I went into business first, because they were like, well, you still have to make money. And so I didn't understand, you know, I didn't know how I would do that by just going into theater because I didn't go to theater school. But subsequently, and of course now, my parents are, you know, super proud, happy, you know, for for all I've been through and gone through to get to where I am. But I was, I was bit by the bug really young. I did all the community theater stuff. I wanted to like play with the big kids. I, I love it so much. And I got into it to change lives. I didn't get into it. I got into it, you know, because I thought it was amazing and glitzy and glamorous and it's fun to play somebody else. And it's great to wear the costumes and the wigs and the makeup is baller. But the real raw deal is the fact that like I could be on stage and somebody could have come in to that theater that night and they had the shittiest day in the entire world. And in three hours, I'm responsible for changing their life in those three hours. And it's those stories afterwards of people who write or, I've, you know, who I've gotten letters from or I see at the stage door who are like, you know what? I just lost this person and you completely turned my day around. That's, that's the reason I do it. I love that. That's a wonderful answer. Hear that all of my students out there, what she said about sight reading and music theory. And please y'all, please y'all. All y'all that have dropped because school's starting. Get back at it. Trust me when I tell you, I've had to do a Broadway audition before where I've been asked to sight read. So don't don't sleep on the fact. Don't think that it's just this easy thing. 
no, no, I've been given sheet music or they're like, okay, just read this off the page. I'm like, okay, bitch, mm-hmm. no problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but please keep at it. You guys, you think it's a lost art. It's not, it's what, it's something that will take you and put you in a different playing field than those who don't read music. Amen. What event do you consider your first big success? Probably when I did the concert version of West Side Story with the San Francisco Symphony. Yes. Um, I was up against some pretty big names and I remember going to Lincoln Center and we had our rehearsals at Juilliard or our auditions at Juilliard. And it was just a list on the door of all the other women that were going in. And I was like, oh, fuck. <clears throat> I, I was... I had not made my Broadway debut yet. I was still the girl who was like... This was for Anita, right? Yeah. I remember that that dress that you had. Oh, that, yeah. Oh, God. Gorgeous. That's right. Burlington Home Factory, bitch. Um, uh, that's where I got the dress. Thanks. It was probably 20 bucks. Um, and I... Uh, it was one of those things where I went in and it was the first time that I had walked into an audition room and I didn't know how important the people were. And when I tell people like, be kind to everyone, it's because if you don't know who somebody is, they, they could be the one to change your life. So don't be an asshole because you're having a bad day. And when I walked in, I, I had no idea that the Michael Tilson Thomas, who who is a, the star of his Leonard Bernstein's protege for years and years was the one in the room and he was doing the casting and he's the conductor of the symphony. And I just kicked my shoes off and I was like, let's do this, yo. And he thought I was this, you know, real deal, raw, New Jersey attitude, sassy um, gal. And I got the role. And I just remember standing in Trader Joe's on 72nd Street and got the phone call when I was in line. And my agent was like, well, how would you feel about playing Anita? And I was like, fuck you. How would I feel about it? She's like, no, you booked it. And I was like, what? Fuck you. And so, and, and that's how, kind of how it's gone for me. Like through, throughout my career, these big roles, I've been like, yeah, yeah, okay, cool. Sounds really great, you guys. Um, and, and it just goes to show hard work pays off. It was, it was a huge gig for me, though it came at this time, I think it was 2008 um, when it happened, where I was not that long out of finance. And it was a huge thing. It just was huge. I got to invite my parents and Rita Moreno came and she was so amazing and and she came twice to see it. And then we had an album release and we got nominated for a Grammy. And it was all this, like, it was a whirlwind of things that taught me a lot because at the time I was like, this is it. This is my big break. It wasn't, it certainly wasn't. But you know, the advice that I can give myself back then is, you know, don't, don't put a label on something before, you know, while it's happening, just enjoy it in the moment. That was, that was a huge, that made me believe that I was good enough to do the types of things that I'm doing now. And it made me feel like I could sort of nudge my parents and say, this is the correct field for me to be in. Those were our hard questions. And are you ready to talk about Wicked? Chelsea, don't you agree that Jessica Vosk is a fucking delight? Do you think the listeners know that now? I think they get it. I think they get it. So let's cover some Wicked background, Chelsea. I'm ready. There's a lot to unload here. So Wicked had several Wikipedia pages. Wikipedia pages? Pages. So we're going to do the truncated version of the background. So unfortunately, we're not going to be able to get to literally everything because 
it would take, that's a whole, its own episode. It would be its own episode if we did the entire background of Wicked. So to start, Wicked, the musical is by Stephen Schwartz. Book by Winnie Holtzman. And it's based on Gregory Maguire's 1995 novel, Wicked, The Life and Times of the Wicked Witch of the West, which is a retelling of the 1900 novel by L. Frank Baum, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, and the 1939 Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer film, The Wizard of Oz. Directed by Joe Mantello. And it was choreographed by Wayne Salento. It premiered on Broadway at the Gershwin Theater in October of 2003 after a pre-Broadway tryout in San Francisco in the Curran Theater. Wicked celebrated its 16th anniversary, October 30th, 2019. On October 28th, 2019, it surpassed Les Mis as the fifth longest running show on Broadway with 6,681 performances. July 2017, Wicked passed Phantom as second highest grossing musical, only behind The Lion King now. In development, there was a cast that included Kristen Chenoweth as Glinda, who Schwartz actually had in mind when making the character, and Stephanie J. Block as Elphaba, who later was the original Elphaba on national tour. Adita Menzel ended up taking over the role of Elphaba in development in late 2000. Costumes had a twisted Edwardian style, and they were by Susan Hilferty, who designed over 200 costumes. The lighting is by Kenneth Posner. He designed over 800 individual lights to give 54 distant scenes and locations its own mood, quote unquote. When it was in development in San Francisco, uh, the San Francisco Chronicle uh, critic Robert Hurwitt actually wrote that Menzel's brightly intense Elphaba, the Wicked Witch, needs a chance of holding her own alongside Genoa's gloriously, insidiously bubbly Glinda. So that critique, they were worried that Menzel was actually getting overshadowed by Chenoweth's Glinda. So Menzel's Elphaba was getting overshadowed a little bit by Chenoweth's Glinda. And as a result, the creative team ended up making Elphaba more prominent. Imagine her not being more prominent. It's literally a story about her. That's weird. Right? But when uh, asked, Schwartz actually was uh, said during the Broadway revisions that uh, he remembered and what he said I quote, it was clear there was work to be done and revisions to be made in the book and the score. The critical community was frankly very helpful for us. Tributes included in October 2018 an NBC broadcast called A Very Wicked Halloween celebrating 15 years on Broadway and was hosted by Idina Menzel and Kristen Chenoweth featuring Ariana Grande, Pentatonix, Adam Lambert, Ladisi, the current Broadway company of the musical and others, including our girl Jessica Voss, woo, 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 singing many of the musical numbers from Wicked to a live studio audience at the Marquee Theater in New York. Can you do all of the awards to Modern Major General? No. Okay, great. So there are so many awards that it actually has its own Wikipedia page uh, called List of Awards and Nominations for the Musical Wicked. You can look that up, but we're going to go over what they actually won. So in the 2004 Tony, they won Best Actress in a Musical, which was Adina Menzel, Best Scenic Design, which was Eugene Lee, and Best Costumes by Susan Hifferty. 
Among many nominations. In 2004, Drama Desk, Schwartz won Best Lyrics, Holtzman won Outstanding Book, Mantello won Best Director, William David Brown won Best Orchestration, Eugene Lee won Best Set Design, and Kenneth Posner won Best Lighting Design. In 2004, the Drama League, Wicked won Distinguished Production of a Musical. In the 2004 Grammy, they won Best Musical Show Album. They won everything they were nominated for for the Carbonell Awards and the Touring Broadway World Awards. And then the Helen Hayes Award went to Stephanie J. Block in lead actress in a non-resident production of Wicked, being the first national tour of Wicked. Damn. Just so many things. Okay, cool. So to set the scene for Wicked, do you have any pre-show rituals? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, Alphabet doesn't enter until like five or seven minutes into the show. So like Glinda has her big moment where she's like, does the let us be glad? And that was my warm up, right? So I warm up with that to warm up for my show, which is like color tour soprano for everybody out there who's like, how do you belt or mix? Make sure that soprano is on point, kids. And so that's what I would do. I would, I, uh, I would make sure that I have those notes in my dressing room. I would take my swig of apple cider vinegar, a Grether's pastille, put an extra Grether's pastille in my pocket of my shiz jacket. I would make sure I had Pedialyte and lukewarm water with my dresser. She would carry both. I would take an electrolyte pill for the amount that I was about to sweat and do a little bit of yoga and stretching, call it a day, and walk my ass out there before I grab my suitcase to go back behind the, you know, special whatever scrim. I would take a swig of Pedialyte and a swig of water and like wave to my homies on stage right and then get my ass in gear and then enter as Elphaba. I realized we never actually said these words. Jessica Vosk was Elphaba for the 15th anniversary of Wicked on Broadway. Side note, here we it are. Ha- it happened this one time. 15th anniversary. It was an anniversary. Wicked turned 15, a teenager, and I played the green gal. I mean, it got its permanent everything. We open on No One Mourns the Wicked, and the Aussians are talking about wickedness as Galinda's flying in on her little bubble, and she's telling the story. That little bubble, that's a big bubble. That bitch is, it's a big bubble. Lots of bubble-tastic shit on there. She gets an entrance for the ages. Don't be afraid of heights if you play either witch. Okay, go ahead. Can you imagine a Glinda that's afraid of heights? Oh, um, yes. And I'm sure most, a lot of them are when they're, when they're first up there, they're like, <laughs> I mean, step off the platform. Yeah, don't step. Well, she's carabinered in, okay? So she, if she stepped off the platform, that bitch would be saved. When you play Alphaba and you have to go into your, well, I'll talk about it when we get there. Go ahead. Okay. Galinda is telling the story of a young woman born of an affair and she's born greened and shunned by all. Are people born wicked? Or do they have wickedness thrust upon them? After all, she had a father. She had a mother. As so many do. So I want to ask you, do you think, are people born wicked? Or do they have wickedness thrust upon them? So weird. I've never heard that line before, Chelsea. Wickedness is thrust upon them, you guys. Look at our lives. Look at the, look at the fact that the show was written for the Bush administration, but everybody thinks that we rewrote it for Trump because I played Alphaba on tour when the election happened in 2016. And 
And everybody was like, did you rewrite the show? And I was like, no, bitch, he just sucks. And so, no, everything is thrust upon us. Case in point, we talk about the fact that, like, children will listen because it's it's all about sort of opinions that are thrust upon you that make you believe certain things about yourself that don't necessarily have any truth to them. So thrust, girl, thrust. Love it. And I do have a quick question. Have you yourself ever been up in the bubble? I have not been up in the bubble. No, I haven't been up in the bubble, (laughs) losers. Because I'm sure at the time they were like, we can't really do that right now. And I was like, you guys don't understand me. We go into dear old shiz, going back in time to Elfie going to college with her sis who is wheelchair bound. Madame Morrible dotes on Nessa Rose and ignores Elfie because of her appearance. Madame Morrible changes the sleeping arrangements, promising to take Nessa under her care. Elfie attempts to take back Nessa, and her anger makes Nessa move to her telekinetically. And Madame Morrible is impressed with her powers. How important is the story now in regards to the Black Lives Matter, in your opinion? Ooh, I, hello. I mean, good morning. Hello, good morning. Let's take the fact that, like, what, when everybody asks me the, what I connected to about Alphaba, <clears throat> I always say that I had to do something really different because it was 15 years into the show, and there were so many fierce-ass ladies who have played the role before that I didn't want to only go back and look and think about what everybody else has done. I sort of wanted to look at it with a fresh face, fresh perspective. That goes for the same thing when I was on tour. But one of the things that I latched onto as far as a platform is concerned was bullying in general. And the fact that we live in a world right now that didn't exist 15 years ago, meaning technology, cell phones, everybody has, everybody can bully uh, as a stranger and as a complete, uh, with anonymity. I didn't have that in high school. I got bullied the usual way. The fact that people can hide behind their phones and hide behind an app and hide behind all of that and really torment people and take them to the brink of of sometimes even death um, is a really scary thing. And that's what I focused on. And I also, you know, yes, Alphaba is the only one with a different color skin. That's something that I don't understand, right? And I went into the show going, I have the privilege of not understanding what it's like to be judged because I am a different color. Um, and so I had a lot of talks with with Black friends of mine, BIPOC friends of mine, about what that is like. And it is, and this, this is years ago, before the most recent Black Lives Matter movement. And also, I'm a huge advocate and ally for the LGBTQ plus community. And I also couldn't understand what it was like to be judged just because I said I was gay or just because I am a trans person or, you know, and this all interweaves and connects itself to what I find to be very timely, which is everyone is human. There's no, this is a human issue that we're dealing with. This is not a political issue. This is not, let's choose sides here. This is a human issue. Every human has the right to be treated the exact same way. 
And we've had, you know, again, wickedness thrust upon people of color, wickedness thrust upon Black people over years and years and years of rhetoric and the way that our country has been built. So I think it's no surprise that, you know, a show like Wicked is stays so timely because we're dealing with all these socioeconomic issues every year, every day. And the fact that we're in quarantine right now and we're living through this pandemic has forced us to have to sit and deal with the fact that no one is treated equally. We have to look at the fact that Black people are not treated the same. And that is because of the color of their skin or where they grew up or or fear-based. Everything for me, when people get angry and racist and judgy McJudger town is because it's all fear-based. Same thing for anybody who uh, LGBTQ+, anybody who has shit to say, it's all fear-based. I'm never going to be, I'm not going to be able to change everybody's mind. I get it, but I will always stand up for those communities because I have the privilege to do so. So I would rather use that. And that's sort of how the story itself, this is a long-winded answer, like mea culpa, so sorry. It's kind of how the story weaves itself in because you find Elphaba is so used to being treated, right? Take in a certain way because of how she looks, right? Just as you hear black people saying, okay, I'm a black man and white women cross the street every single time they see me because they're afraid of me. Elphaba is used to that because she has a certain color skin. Little does she know that it's also, it's a power of hers that she can latch onto and use to benefit herself. So I'm, you know, I find that to be a very timely and parallel thing right now. I'm constantly talking with my friends of color who have things to say and have, you know, I don't ask them, what should I be doing? Because that like, Jessica, you're a smart person, put your thinking cap on. I say, you know, how are you doing? What's happening? What's on your mind today? What are you feeling? Or black business owners or just people that we can lift up who don't get the chance to be lifted. And that's sort of the alphabet thing. It's like, okay, she has power. Yes. How are we going to support her in that? And I think that's what the audience winds up doing is they're going, oh, she's instead of, oh, God, she's the green girl. It's like, yes, she is the green girl. And that's what happens by the end. You don't you don't see any of the of the oh, she's green shared disdain ostracized so i think that's something just for all of us to be mindful of and remember going through life right now is that equality is a very beautiful thing and somehow the most difficult thing for a lot of people to grasp thank you for joining dateline today with wines and dolls that was a great answer thank you hashtag who played your nessa rose in madame horrible I had um, first my first morable. I had her both on the road and on Broadway. Is Isabel Keating? There's no one I could possibly adore more than Isabel. She's a Tony Award nominee. She's one of the best actors I've ever worked with, and she's so kind. And I also had Nancy Opal, who knocked my socks off in every every sense and ounce of of what it is to be a comedic character actress. I loved working with her so much. I was really lucky. Same with Nessa's. Kem Martin, Kristen Martin, she was my Nessa on the road. We started together on tour, and she was subsequently my Nessa on Broadway. And we ha- we've we always had a fun time because I'm such an asshole on stage. Like, I'm the one who's like, I want to make you laugh differently every single show. So I would, like, hug her and be like, you smell like roses. Like, that, that's <laughs> I'm like, shut up, Jess. 
and then I finished off, I think my last Nessa was uh, Giselle Jimenez. So cute, so sweet, so sassy. I didn't have her as long as I had Kem. Kem and I sort of had the journey together. So it did feel very sisterly. But I've been pretty lucky to have some fierce women around. We jump in next to The Wizard and I. Oh, Miss Alphaba. Many years I have waited. Why I predict the wizard could make you his magic grand vizier. Such an epic song, so amazing, where Elphaba is reflecting on her excitement to show the people she's not just that green girl. Yes, and why not, why not make an 11 o'clock number the first thing that she sings? It's not going to make you feel strange at all as Elphaba not have to leave the stage for a very long time and also have to sing a number such as The Wizard and I, which could leave you with nodes. But I digress. <laughs> and that's how we'll be Wizard and I. Look, that shit's hard. It's one of, my, one of the hardest songs, and it will tell you as Alphaba, and every single green girl will tell you this, if you get through that song and you do it the way that you'd like, you know the rest of your show is going to be cake. And that's just what it is. And when you hit like the wizard and I, I would, I would hold the note out as long as I wanted to. And if I got it, I'd be like, I'm good. Rest of the show's cake. I'm good. And you know what? Before, I, when I finish wizard and I, you think I'm going to be able to exit the stage and get water, bitch? No, let's start loathing. Anyway. Gosh, the marathon that you had to run. The marathon. Uh, the wizard and I. So we go in after the most epic note of uh, Wizard of I. We have the next song is What Is This Feeling? Where Elfie and Galinda are roommates, much to their disdain. Dearest, darlingest, momsy, and popsicle. My dear father. There's been some confusion over rooming here at Shiz. Oh, yeah. Now, this is Chelsea's favorite song. Was this, uh, this scene fun for you? Actually, yes. I mean, it, it's it's so fun because, again, everybody is, you know, ripping Alphaba a new one, for lack of a better word. Everybody thinks she's, she's awful and crazy and weird. But I had fun with it. It gives you a chance to, like, throw a little shade and sass and give a little attitude. And, and you're the one that gets to stare, scare Galinda at the end. You're the one that gets to be like, girl... Like, you, you kind of know you have the power. You don't get to tell everybody you have the power because they're all pointing fingers at you. But I don't know. There's something to me that is that was super fun about it, that by the end of it, she's the one that scares her and then laughs it off because she's, in my opinion, the shit. So, yeah. and then you're like, then you go, then you pop right into class and you're like, boo, <laughs> sorry, math. And and that, I loved that about, about doing it. And I had Amanda Jane Cooper as my first Galinda, both on tour and on Broadway. And she and I are, you know, she's one of my closest friends to this day. And God, she's a joy to do the show with. She's so good in that role. And when I first did it with her, I was like, okay, this is going to be really fun. That was literally our next question was who, who were your Galindas? Um, apparently I only do Wicked with Glindas that have three names. Uh, that's like one of my, I guess I, I didn't know it was a precursor for me, but you know, Other if thing. you have three names... Yeah, get on board. Um, Amanda Jane Cooper, Jenna Claire Mason, uh, Katie Rose Clark. 
Katie Rose Clark actually went to Sam Houston um, yes, down here in Houston. So yes, she did. again, I am obsessed with Katie Rose Clark. She is a genius. But, you know, everybody brings their different spin to Glinda. And Katie Rose was the one that had done the show the most. She had she had subsequently done so many contracts beforehand. I think she's been a part of the show for like 11 years or something like that. On and off. Because um, you would die if you did all 11. And she just knocked my socks off. She's like, Southern girl meets city girl chic. My obsession. Like, Glinda is the most Southern person. She has such an arc in her story because she starts off as this, like, well, a debutante. Yeah. Yes. And she's like makeup and jewelry. And let me just show you, let me be a real housewife of Dallas. That's basically <laughs> what it is until she realizes like, hmm, substance is necessary. I don't know if you know, there's like a Dallas Houston feud. We're just no. going to at it. So. So after what is this feeling? You have uh, Elfie has scared Glinda, and then she goes into math, as you said. So you go into the song uh, "Something Bad, Bad," where we meet Dr. Dillamond, who confides in Elphaba about discrimination he is experiencing, and tells her there is a conspiracy to suppress animals and their rights. Oh, Miss Elphaba, the things one hears these days. Something bad. Sorry, bad. Something bad. Oh, you're surprised at yourself. Oh, oh, I. (laughs) Notes. This is where Alphabet, like, this is where the activism switch turns on. And again, like, things that make sense for people who are going through shit, like the LGBTQ community, Black Lives Matter. This is this is the thing where it's like we are being mistreated. I don't necessarily know what to do about it as an animal, right? Mm-hmm. Who's having, they're trying to suppress us and take our rights away and all this kind of stuff. And Alphaba's like, oh, okay. That, for some reason, it lights a, a spark under her ass where she's like, this is the thing that I need to be doing is standing up for people who are unable to stand up for themselves. Nothing truly bad. Bad. And this is going to be the longest part here because dancing through life is literally like half of act one here. There's so much that happens within dancing through life. Honey, it's the only break I have in the show. Take all the time you want to talk about it. It's the only (laughs) moment I got to visit my dressing room and go to the bathroom. So for me, do I know the song? Absolutely not. I went to my dressing room and I was like, Jessica Pease, just this one time. She's got a two minute break. Drink some water, eat a pastille. You know what I mean? Those are the words. Those are exactly it. For me, yeah, they are. And I like to have you gentle dance in your life. I'm like, mm, unfamiliar. Get me off stage so I can pee pee. The trouble with schools is. They always try to teach the wrong lesson But I say why invite stressing Dancing through life Skimming the surface 
Well, in Dancing Through Life, we meet Fiero, Prince of the Winkies, which makes his gorgeousness go down as soon as they say Prince of the Winkies. And Ultimate, bad boy, arrives at Shiz and tells the students his philosophy on life, which is dance through it, stop caring so much, and throws a big party at the Ozdas Ballroom. Glinda dresses up Nessa. Elfie thanks Glinda for helping her sister and getting her sister a date, which is Bach. We'll come back to that in a second. And in return, Glinda gives Elphaba an ugly old iconic witch's hat, telling her it's stylish. Kind of like Crocs? How dare you? <laughs> Get out, Emily. I'm, I'm being the, the devil's advocate here. Nessa is invited to the dance by Bach only because Bach wanted to ask out Glinda. Glinda didn't want to hurt his feelings, so in a very bitchy way, sends him around to Nessa and says, basically, oh, you know what would make me feel really good, though? If you asked her out, then I would really think you're a good guy. So Bach asks out Nessa starting this whole thing with Nessa. She tells him he can do this favor for her and ask Nessa out. So that's exactly why I don't trust men. <laughs> Hello. Right? Right. It, it, yeah. Okay. You know what? Okay, cool. I'm going to ask that girl out over there. Maybe that one will think I'm cute and then she'll like me. But like, yeah, that chick over there too. Maybe I can make out with her. And it's sort of like... I'm sorry. I'm not on Bumble anymore for this reason. You know, pick a lane, honey. I don't have time. Ain't nobody got time for that. But yes, it's a musical, so we do have the time. ballroom and Elphaba shows up once everybody else has arrived in her beautiful new hat that Glinda has given her. Everybody starts laughing at her because it's not apparently as cool as Glinda first made it seem. Um, but Glinda has a change in heart right before because Madame Morrible, who despises Glinda, comes on and says, you can join my sorcery class. Elphaba has basically given you the in with me. So Elphaba's given Glinda a little bit of a, a lift here in the eyes of Madame Warble. And Glinda feels bad that she is not helping Elphaba in the way she needs to help her. She sees that Elphaba is not as, maybe not as weird as she thought. This is the moment where Glinda goes, oh shit. I gave her that really ugly thing while she had my back in this moment. While she like actually took it upon herself to help me out. I like, I was like an absolute bitch. A bitch to her and gave her this hat. And now I feel like, cause Madame Marble is like, guess what? You're not good enough, Glenda, Galinda. Yeah. Not good enough at this point, but like, because Alphaba said that she wanted you to do it or she wouldn't, you're going to get a chance now. And then Galinda's like, oh shit. I really screwed up. Let me be a better person. And with that, she goes and dances with Elphaba while Elphaba's that awkward girl on the dance floor just doing her thing. And Glinda goes and joins her. What? And then this is sparking a beautiful new friendship. So I do have a question for you about this. 
Have you ever personally, you, Jessica Bosk, have you been the awkward girl dancing alone on the floor? You have any friends come rescue you? Or are you always that girl that jumps in and helps? Uh, both. I've been both. I, I was an ugly duckling in school. I was the one who was like the theater girl, but she liked to cheerlead. But was she in this one group? Was she not in this one group? Like, where does she belong? I, I like went through some shit. So I completely understand the one who's iced out by like the group of girls just because they're so much cooler. They have like, you know, we all go through trends, right? Somebody has the cool trend and you're the one who doesn't. So you're on the outskirts. Like I have been there. It's why I'm such a person who's like, guys, stop telling people how they should look, what they should do, how they should be, because you're like, you're just stifling yourself and everybody else. Mm -hmm. But I've also been the one to like, watch somebody having a hard time and go and help them out. I'm, I can't, I can't stand watching people who are going through something when you can be the one to help them out. I can't stand watching somebody struggle. I mean, we all have to struggle. We have to go through our shit. But while you're on the struggle bus, I could I'm get, I could hand you a little beverage of choice. I can give you a little airbag moment. I can I can try and help you out because we all need that. We are we've all been on both sides of the coin. If anybody listening to this is like, "No, I can't understand that." Well, yes you do, and you're just lying. Yeah. Yeah. We've all been there. We've all been there and it sucks. Amen. And that whole scene, by the way, is the only scene in the entire show that is not done with any dialogue or any singing. The entire scene itself is a silent scene. It's done with choreography through music. And it's basically a scene that happens of dialogue between two women without saying anything. It's the only one in the show that exists like that. So by the time Alphabet begins her dance, by the time Glinda steps in, and they're together, you have to understand as the audience member, which is why people are like, oh my God, that scene got me so much and I cried because without dialogue, you're seeing an entire shift of emotion happen, you know, which is pretty cool, which is something like as an actor, when I always tell people like to simplify stuff, that's one of those moments where it's like, you're looking at one person in the eye and deciding to make a shift and be like, oh, you do have something good in there, okay. I'll, I'll join you on that. And that's, that's what I loved about that scene so much is that it was done without any dialogue. Uh, but the next song did have a lot of dialogue because we go into... Not for me. <laughs> Not for me. <laughs> I know, Glinda, she held up all of her words from that she was internalizing in that in the scene where you're becoming friends with Elfie to then spill them all out during Popular. Elfie, now that we're friends, I've decided to make you my new project. You really don't have to do that. I know. That's what makes me so nice. You... Will be popular. You're gonna be popular. Alphabet confides in her new friend and roommate, Galinda, about her mother's death and why her sister is the way that she is, where she is unfortunately crippled. But Galinda decides she's going to fix Alphaba or Elfie with a makeover. <laughs> this song I've I've seen, I've actually seen Wicked, I think six times across like in Chicago in New York and also in London I love one of my favorite parts about Wicked obviously is popular I like to see how the Glindas 
change. There's one, the one who was in London, I can't remember who it was, but she was so, I was like, girl, I don't know what kind of pop rocks you're, you're on, but oh my God, she was like jumping the whole time. Where when I saw Katie Rose, she was a little bit more sleek and calm and sassy. So I guess for you, how do you, how do you not just laugh at people? Did it change every night? Yeah. I mean, you know, the thing, the thing about, about popular is that when you do Wicked, it can't, you're doing a show that is like, you don't have that much creative voice as the actor, right? You can't be like, I'm going to reinvent the wheel. I'm going to do this this thing differently. I'm going to, no, it's like, it's set in stone what you do. So I wouldn't say this is like a, you know, a DIY every night you had to hit your marks. Right. And you had to hit them because that's what the director said you have to do. Yes. Um, but each Glinda did have their special moments where they got to bring themselves to it. And that is the part for me that is great because when you lock eyes with somebody, when you lock eyes with your Glinda and they're like, they give you that look like, Jess, let's do this shit. You're like, to fuck things bring it on girl. Like <laughs> bring it on, do some shit that I don't know. I love when you throw things at me that I don't, that I've never seen before. You know, that's what makes it fun. That's what makes live theater fun. Popular is one of those songs where it, it's always going to depend on how the Glinda feels. It's always going to depend on how the audience is and what they're giving back. It's always going to be like a ping pong tournament of myself and her and the audience. And it's uh, it's awesome to be a part of that. And that's why live theater is so cool and why I think so many actors on the film TV side get scared of live theater because you don't get the chance to do it again. You don't get a second take. And I love that. That that's what I thrive on. If the lipstick she has to put lipstick on Alphaba, sometimes the lipstick gets tough. Sometimes she has to take a, a flower out of her hair. Sometimes her hair gets caught in it. I mean, those are the moments where it's like those are fun for me. And Katie Rose, not to harp on how amazing she is, but yeah, she would make meals out of it. Like <laughs> she would laugh at herself, which is which is also why I just love her because what else are you gonna do when you can't get a flower out of your hair? She'd be like, oh. <laughs> dive right into the next scene where Dr. Dillamond is telling his group of students that he has been, he's leaving, he's out. He's made to leave the school and replaced by a teacher who demands that animals must never speak and must be caged. The animal caged in this scene is a small little baby lion cub. And is it a puppet? It is a puppet, y'all. Sure is. That's Chelsea's dream role. Dream role is the The lion cub. Controller. Alphaba? is furious and her powers cannot be contained. And she accidentally cast a spell on all of her classmates, making them gyrate uncontrollably. She and Fierro steal the little lion cub in the cage and they share a tender moment before Fierro. He leaves off with the cage. He does. It's, it's so awkward between the two of them because there is a spark of creation. Not to, you know, do another Stephen Schwartz song, but hey, hey, big ups. Yeah, it's awkward. This is the moment, right, when she's like, I, this is what I meant to do is save these animals. What I meant to do is be an activist. I don't care what it does to me. I don't care what you have to say about me. This is very much a Jessica Vosk moment. I don't care what you throw at me. I don't care if you yell at me, get into an argument with me, get into a war with me on Twitter. I don't care if you call me names or you have opinions about me all day. Have a ball. Create anything you want to about me. I swear to God, if you do it to somebody who 
is a best friend of mine, a family member of mine, or somebody who is is um, dealing with somebody and feels less than, I will cut you. I will ruin you, and I will do it with a smile on my face. I am an Italian. I've got that in my blood. I'm a, and I'll tell you right now, do not mess with my friends. Mess with me all day long, and the kids do. They love it. I can take it. But when I watch somebody who can't take it, having to go through it, I will unleash an anger that you don't want that. You don't want that. Boskinator. And that's, that's right. That's, and that's what Alphabet does in this moment. She's like, I, I am watching a baby, for lack of a better word, not be able to speak. And I am watching it be, be hit and scolded. And it's viscerally making her... It's like, look, hello, children in cages. It's, it's, this is what it is. It's like, I'm watching this happen and I'm the only one that's willing to do something about it. Okay, bitch, I'm in. Now she's like, let's take the hot guy with me because what, what, let me give myself a present, which is I'll put a spell on everybody else in the room except for this muscular dude. I'm bringing him with me. He's hot. He looks good in those pants. Let's have a, let's have a kiki. Let's (laughs) indeed have a kiki. I will say that that scene has my favorite line ever, which is I'm genuinely self-absorbed and deeply shallow. And that has been sitting in my Facebook favorite quotes for about 10 years now. Yes, because you're like, cool. Uh, Again, Bumble. (laughs) (laughs) We go into, because uh, Fiero and Elphaba, they share this tender moment, but he runs off uh, during the song, I'm Not That Girl, where Elphaba reflects on Fiero helping her steal the lion and notes that she will never get the guy. Can relate. Hands touch, eyes meet, sudden silence, sudden heat, hearts leap in a giddy So you're beautiful, you're amazing, you're smart as hell, but I, you, you can share as much or as little as you want. Have you ever felt like Elphaba uh, in this song? Haven't we all? As we, I mean, this is, this, is, this is that moment where, and again, it's very important, I think, for everybody to understand that, that and especially when I teach masterclasses and people bring songs like this in, this is not like I feel bad for myself song. This is not like one of those moments where you're like, my friend and gum, nobody likes me. Like this, instead, it's a moment of, of honesty with yourself. It's a moment of saying, you know, I'm never going to be that model over there. I'm never going to be the person who's going to walk down the street and somebody's going to go, do you want to work for my modeling agency? Because you just have that look. I don't have the, the ringlet curls. I don't have the usual like princessy look or vibe. And this is Alpha going, and that's okay. And I think everybody has felt that way, regardless of gender or age or race. We have all been in a position where you're, where for lack of a better word, we have a crush on somebody. We've, we've had an awkward moment with somebody and we feel like we're not good enough and we can't do anything about that. I am who I am. Don't wish, don't start. Wishing only wounds the heart. I wasn't born for the woes of- 
It was like, I am who I am. Damn, I hate that that person doesn't want me. Versus I am who I am. God, you'd be lucky to have me. So Elphaba is in the version of, of herself right now where it's like, I am who I am. I would just wish that I could be different. And I think we all know what that feels like. And I think we all feel vulnerable. And, and I just, I think vulnerability is our superpower. And the more honest we can be about that and, and how we feel and how we can be transparent and saying like, I'm going through some shit right now. And I, I, I will be able to figure it out, but I'm going to need to go through it myself. And that's what this moment is for her. I'm not that good. Madam Marble tells Elfie she's invited to meet with the wizard. Nessa and Galinda see her off the train station. Fiero meets them at the train station with poppies, poppies for Elphaba, ignoring Glinda. Glinda tries to impress him by changing her name officially from Glinda to yeah. the mispronounced Glinda that uh, Dr. Dillamont would pronounce her name as. And he's not impressed. Fiero just kind of walks off, doesn't, doesn't care. <laughs> and that brings us in straight into one short day where Elphaba invites Glinda. She sees that Glinda's down because she's just been shunned by who she thought maybe would be her boyfriend. Invites her to join her in Oz for the day as they explore the city. Come with me to the Emerald City. One short day in the Emerald City. Oh, I've always wanted to see the Emerald City. It just looks like the most absolute fun scene in the whole world. Explore those costumes, man. It is an incredibly, like, vibrant, beautifully staged, colorful event. I mean, that's like when you get introduced to Oz. It's like anybody who's coming to see the show knows that they need to see that spectacular moment of when they get to Oz. It's kind of what we know and love uh, as kids about seeing Oz for the first time. Mm -hmm. And you know that there's going to you know it's going to be green and you know it's going to be, like, paved with all the gold stuff and they did a beautiful job. I mean, that's why the costumes won a Tony Award. Look at the costumes. Mm -hmm. And again, it's a, it's a costume change for both of us, for both witches. And I think we have about, from, from Come With Me and we run upstage and offstage. It's very meticulously planned. I always say to people, the backstage traffic at Wicked is harder than the onstage traffic. Oh. It is... Super placed. When you get put into the show, you have to rehearse this costume change over and over just to make sure that you get it done because I feel like it's only 15 seconds. But again, like that's the magic of theater. You have the people there who have a, a calculated, you know, timetable. Somebody removes your hat, does your thing, puts the dress on, puts the hat back on. Does it, It's this whole thing that happens and you make it just in enough time to sing, there are buildings tall as quacks with trees. And that's, that's it. Have I had mishaps? Yes, I have. Where the, the dress gets caught, doesn't zipper. I've done the whole thing with my hand on the back of my dress to keep it closed. I mean, it's, <laughs> you roll with it because you can't miss your entrance. And again, like that's probably the m most anxiety that you have doing a show is trying to get your quick changes. They're building as tall as quacks with trees, dressing on the libraries, palaces, museums, a hundred strong. one of my favorite parts of, of shows is getting those quick changes, those 15 second ones in. 
exhilarating. Yeah, that's Alphaba's life. That's an Alphaba, you know, it's just quick changes. Sharing one wonderful one shine. The wizard will see you now. Alphaba and Glinda meet the wizard in the song Sentimental Man, which I feel like sometimes it was just put in for Joel Grey to have a song. Could be. I wish I, wish I were there. I am a sentimental man who always longed to be a father. That's why I do the best I can to treat each citizen of Oz as son or daughter. So the wizard sings about how he is, in fact, a sentimental man. He cares for everybody, or so he says. And Madame Marble appears with the grimmery. And she is the new press secretary for the wizard. And Elphaba is asked to perform a levitation spell to prove herself from the grimmery. So only powerful witches and wizards are able to even read it. So she's performing the spell from the grimmery on Chistery, who is the monkey servant. But the spell goes wrong and he sprouts wings. Ah! And she realizes the wizard is behind all the animal suppression and the fraud. And Madame Warble actually reports Elphaba as wicked so alpha runs off and she locks herself in like a shed or a closet where um where there's like a broom and some other stuff and starts to have a little bit of a fight with glinda or glinda now in the song defying gravity alphaba why couldn't you have stayed calm for once instead of flying off the handle i hope you're happy i hope you're happy now i hope you're happy i hope you're happy too okay a lot, a lot just to happened. A lot to unpack. A lot to unpack. When you realize that somebody, I mean, listen, for Elphaba, it's all about the fact that, like, she held this man in such high regard on such a pedestal. We've all done it before. We've had our heroes fall. And that's, I think, what this moment is, is like, oh, shit. The person who I thought was going to, like, change my life in the best way ever and make me feel like I belong is actually the person who doesn't want anybody to belong. Because power, power, power is all that they want what a huge shift for her and that like sends her into a tailspin and you know glinda always wants to be the one who there's i don't want to rock the boat i'd rather keep everything chill why don't we just leave i'm so sad that this just happened but like you know it's it's time to go and now alphabet you've created yet another catastrophe for yourself and glinda's like i don't want to be involved and so it tests it's a test of friendship i think you can have all you No. I can't want it anymore. For Defying Gravity, do you is there any um, crazy stories that happened or any mishaps? I mean, I've certainly had a couple no-fly shows between tour and Broadway. There have been a couple of like maybe broom mishaps. Luckily, nothing crazy on Broadway. It's so wild though. And it's not, the tour doesn't have this because the tour, you travel the stage. So the stage fits into every single theater. There is no raked stage on Broadway. It's a rake. So there's a slight lift to the stage, mm-hmm. which is really very difficult. But what happens is on Broadway, you 
run off stage, run to a staircase, run down the staircase, run through the orchestra pit, run back up a staircase to do Defying Gravity. It's extremely athletic. There's a reason I trained for it. I'm telling you right now, it's like the staircase is is vertical. You sort of have to slide yourself down the staircase. You have <laughs> maybe 30 seconds to get back up. And again, it's something that you work and you time when you rehearse the show before you go in. Again, moving parts. It's like, you you know, you run through the pit. You say hi to all the pit players. Then you go back up the stairs. And <laughs> I hope you're happy. Uh, it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. It's really hard. And it doesn't get easier. So that's the stuff that, like, when I talk about the stuff that happens off stage, it's the choreography of making those moments happen. And on tour, all you do is run off stage because there's no underneath. Because this, the stage doesn't travel that way, so you can't have trap doors and, and things like that. It just doesn't work that way on tour. And, but when you're on tour first, you think it's so hard. Then you get to Broadway and you're like, there's 16 other layers on top of it that you have to figure out. So it's just, that's one of the more athletic moments in the show because you're just running. You don't stop moving at all. I really hope you get it and you don't live to regret it. I hope you're happy. Did you did you have to do a different riff every night? No, no, that's you're not allowed to do that. Okay. I know there's like a, a compilation of like all the alphabet riffs, and I think you went up to like a, a G or yes, my my final tour riff. That was that was probably my final tour because I was like, back it up doing the last one. We're back from a brief intermission. <laughs> Jessica went and got more cold brew. Chelsea went to the bathroom and I kind of stared at the screen wondering what life was. For time's sake, we again, we wanted Jessica to be able to answer all of our questions and say what was on her mind for the show. So we ended up making our summary a little bit smaller uh, when we were live recording with her. And we, so we will add her responses moving forward. We open on act two with no one mourns the wicked reprise. We find that this is sometime after Elphaba has declared herself wicked and left school, yada, yada, yada. She's met the wizard. And now Elphaba is labeled as an opposition to the wizard. And pretty much anybody who sees her has to report her. And Glinda, or Glinda, is now a positive public figure and a puppet for Madame Morrible and the wizard's regime. Glinda the Good is what she's known as now. And she is the nation's defender against Elphaba. That really sucks because they were just best friends. <laughs> right? Let us put aside our panic for this one day and celebrate. Oh, what a celebration we'll have today. We open up on a press conference where Glinda is up in her beautiful one-sleeved dress in the song, Thank Goodness. The press conference is 
set to celebrate Fierro's appointment as captain of the guard, a position he accepted so he could find Elphaba because he still has some feelings about it. But the press conference is taken over by conspiracy theories and panic among the crowd. But Madame Morrible comes out to announce Fierro's engagement to Glinda. Yay! Yay! That's a surprise to him. Right? But he leaves angrily. Glinda tries to appear cheerful in front of this press and this crowd who just kind of watched her now fiancé kind of freak out a little bit. He was like, I will marry you if it makes you happy. And then it runs off and she's like, oh, he's just gone to get me a glass of of water. With this perfect finale, the cheers in the valley, who, who wouldn't be happier? So I couldn't be happier because happy is what happens when all your dreams come true. Well, isn't it? Right after we've got a scene where Alphaba is visiting Nessa Rose. So she's visiting Nessa Rose, who is now the governor of Munchkin Land. And who is a munchkin that she's in love with? Who? It's Bach. She loves Bach. So now she's the governor of Munchkin Land. And in order to keep Bach at her side, she has stripped the munchkins of their power. So Bach is basically her love slave. And I know, right? Alphaba tries to get Nessa on her side against the wizard, but Nessa is concerned only with herself and how to make Bach love her, which he obviously doesn't because she's making him a slave to her. And so Alphaba turns to enchantment to help get her sister in the right brain space, basically. So she enchants her sister's slippers, which are, are silver slippers, and turns them ruby red, which gives her the power to walk. So the slippers, yeah, the ruby slippers, you know, the thing that Dorothy gets later, blah, blah, blah. That's the Wizard of Oz is the the ruby slippers bring her home. And that's the thing that that the Wicked Witch wants the most in that that story. These These slippers just help Nessa Rose walk is the original intent. So now Nessa is convinced that Bach will love her because now she can walk calls him over to her. He sees that she doesn't need him anymore because she can walk and happily tells her basically, oh, I can go now. You're on your own because you're good and I don't need to take care of you anymore. I'm going to go tell Glinda I'm in love with her before it's too late and she marries Fierro. So hurt, Nessa Rose takes the grimery and tries to cast a spell on Bach to make him love her. She mispronounces the words, and accidentally ends up shrinking Bach's heart. Because of this, Nessa is given the title by all the munchkins, the Wicked Witch of the East. Who you remember later is the one that the house gets dropped on. So Alphaba... What? Spoiler alert. Alphaba saves Bach's life by turning him into the Tin Man. Oh my god. Alphaba tells Nessa Rose that she has to return to the wizard's palace to set the monkey free, all the monkeys, not just one monkey, but to set all the monkeys free because she's trying, you know, to, to free all of these animals. Nessa knows that she's going back really, though, to find Fierro. Ooh. 
And when Bach wakes up, they turn the chair around and he is all of a sudden this tin man and he's disgusted at this new state of being, flees the castle and flees Nessa Rose. Who is pissed? Who is pissed? And so Bach is mad. He's mad because he thinks he doesn't really know what Nessa did. Like, I guess he kind of knows what Nessa did, but he knows that he is now a tin man because of Alphaba. Generally, uh, there is that song that's not on the cast recording, uh, Wicked Witch of the East, which Nessa Rose sings so that Bach can get changed. So he's changing while she's singing about herself, which has a really beautiful duet with Elphaba as she casts the spell from the Grimmery. She is heading back to Oz. She goes to the wizard's palace to free the monkeys. Free the monkeys. The wizard discovers her and he tries to convince her that he isn't evil, but just an average man who came to his position by chance in the song Wonderful. I never asked for this or planned it in advance. I was merely blown here by the winds of chance. So during Wonderfer, Wonderfer, <laughs> Jesus Christ, Wonderfer, Wonderfer, during Wonderful, Elphaba is actually convinced. She's she thinks that this could be a turning point for her. Wonderful, they'll call you wonderful. They're just some wonderful. Trust me, it's fine. Well, she's almost convinced to join him. But then she sees Dr. Dillamond under a blanket who has lost all power to speak. He cannot talk anymore. He just baas. What's the, how do you baa? Baa. Just baa. Understandably, she angry. She pissy. She in a mood, as some would say. And she ends up accusing the wizard, but he ends up calling the guards on her. Who, but who is the, uh, who is the, in char- who is the captain of the guard? Who is it? Fiero! Fiero! So Fiero enters, and he's followed by Glinda. And Fiero ends up helping Elphaba escape and leaves with her instead. Glinda, I think, is there, too, and is like... <laughs> and Glinda. And Glinda. <laughs> so, because Glinda's there, and they, so they see her, and Glinda pretty much releases Fierro of the engagement that was forced upon him, thrust upon him, if you, if you will. And she ends up stay, being like, go, it's fine, it's fine. I'm so sad. Into the song, Not That Girl Reprise. Linda is heartbroken at Fiero leaving, 
and he is also switching sides from the wizard and her boss, basically, over to the Wicked Witch, but suggests to the wizard and to Madame Morrible that to catch Alphaba, they must use Nessa Rose as bait, but she didn't mean it in, like, the deathly kind of way. She meant it as spread a rumor that Nessa Rose is in danger, and Alphaba will come and find her. Instead, Madame Morrible takes that advice and makes it much, much worse. She just shit on it and conjures a quote-unquote change in the weather. Seems to be a change in wind. Mm-hmm. She conjures... That's what, like Madame Marble's thing is that she's really good at creating or changing the weather. That's like her thing. Meanwhile, <laughs> Alphaba and Fiera ran off into the woods. Into the woods! <laughs> And they're overcome with feelings for one another in the woods. Into the woods. Nothing good happens in the woods. Nope. Except for the song, As Long As You're Mine. I have to say, this song was kind of an awakening for me. Um. <laughs> This, I thought this was the sexiest song in the entire world. Right? This is like, this was my sexual awakening. I wanted so badly to have somebody who I'd sing this song with. Ooh. They acknowledge during the song that there's no chance for them as a, literally the lyrics, they acknowledge there's no chance as a pair, but they enjoy the moment they have. A pair and though I don't know. Right? I don't care. Just for this moment. As long as you're mine. I want to talk about Fiero and doing an intimate scene with that gorgeous man. I've had many Fier. I have had probably the most Fieros. I'm not going to ask who's your favorite, but I'm going to imply it. Look, I'm a, I have to tell you right now, Kyle Dean Massey. Yeah. Incredible. Incredible. I, I mean, all of them fantastic. But Kyle Dean, <laughs> just, he I just marry him. I marry him if he wasn't already married to a man. <laughs> Did you always feel really comfortable singing with your Fiero in this in this intimate scene? Do you have any stories yeah. about as long as you're mine? As long as you're, it's weird because like, right? You're all of a sudden you're like, are we out of the woods yet? Are we out of the woods yet? And you're like, um. Let's just sit right here. I love you. Like I'm in a I'm in a dress that you can't possibly take off. <laughs> a forty pound dress. Yeah, I'm in a forty pound dress. Like so, it, I mean, honestly, you have to get yourself down to the ground while not and like as Jessica Vosk for me. Like if I'm I'm always like <sighs> you have to do it without any of that sound. And then you're like I listen. Anyone who knows me knows I love making out with guys. I love it. If I could just walk up to a dude on the street right now in the cocoa, which I would never do unless you got your cocoa slip, I would make out with somebody on the street. I love it. There's nothing better. I'm a whore for a makeout. Bring it on. So every time there was a new fear, I was like, nah, bring it on. And then you'd find your, like, you'd find your makeout way. It would either be like a really cute little cutesy makeout or it'd be like, hmm. Like my have a crush on you outside of the show. So, and I'm just, I loved it. There was nothing awkward about it for me. I don't know if it, it was awkward for the guys. I'm sure it wasn't. I loved it. As 
What is it? It's just for the first time I feel After, 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 Alphaba interrupts the little makeout session in the cornfield because she senses her like spidey senses are going off. She senses that her sister is in danger. She can see things. She sees a tornado and a house flying in it. And before she leaves, Fiero tells her about his castle called Kiamo Ko that his family owns where she can stay. And this becomes her wicked witch castle. Where do you think that word comes from? Kiamo Ko. I don't know, actually. Like, what is the root of this word? I feel like it's some some Hawaii shit. It does sound like Hawaii. I would be okay with being alphabet if it was in Hawaii. That'd be cool with me. Actually, I would be okay with being alphabet, period. (laughs) Courage. The Hawaiian alphabet castle in Hawaii. Nalekaliki. Kiamo Ko. Alphaba's been having visions throughout this entire show. She saw, she had a vision during Wizard of Eye where there was like people were cheering her or were cheering or shouting her name. They're shouting her name, which they is foreshadowing. Foreshadow. The same musical theme that's in The Wizard of Eye is actually in the song that was replaced by The Wizard of Eye called Making Good, which I sing. It's a good song. <laughs> Doesn't really match the show. Anyways, moving on from that. So Alphaba's having the vision. Scene after. I love how you just started writing scene after. <laughs> they're, they're not labeled. It's just like scene after, scene after. I didn't have like the, the book to go through and say scene five. When you have 57 mood scenes. Then here's another cornfield we're going to. It's a different mooded cornfield though. Not the sexy cornfield, but the sad cornfield. This is the sad cornfield. So Glinda and Alphaba meet in the sad cornfield in Munchkinland. Angry. Let's call it the angry cornfield. The angry cornfield. Okay. So they're in the angry cornfield in Munchkin land. It literally looks like the middle of Indiana. So they're in the cornfield in Munchkin land where Nessa has been crushed by a house with a girl named Dorothy Gale and her dog Toto inside. Fuck. Nessa Rose has been squished, squashed, if you will, if you're fancy, by a house that came out of nowhere Elphaba finds out the shoes that had been on the feet of Nessa Rose, who was proclaimed the Wicked Witch of the East earlier. She finds out the shoes have been given to Dorothy and Dorothy was sent on her merry way by Glinda to follow the yellow brick road. Literally the scene opens with Glinda just be like, just follow that all the way. I'm really bad at directions. And so Elbaba is pissed because she's like, those are the only things that my sister had that I could have. That's the only thing left of her. And you gave her to some brat. And so Glinda and Elfie, they start fighting with, they have like, she has, Glinda has her giant cane and Elphaba has her broom and they look ridiculous. And as they're fighting, the guards arrive to arrest Elphaba. So technically the plan worked. They used us as bait, just to Nessa's demise, unfortunately. But then the guards show up, and then the captain of the guards shows up, who is, in fact, Fierro. And when Fierro arrives, he's like, I know we just had sex in the woods. So (laughs) Fierro arrives, and he ends up holding Glinda hostage. 
until the guards set Elphaba free. And though Glinda pretty much says to the guards, like, he's not going to hurt me. So they end up setting Elphaba free. And she's like, well, don't hurt him. But she runs off. And Glinda then, you know, he's like, I'm going to hurt her. I'm not really going to hurt her. And he lets Glinda go. And the guards grab Fiero and they are going to discipline him. But Glinda's like, no, he was never going to hurt me. He's just in love. It's fine. Don't hurt him. And of course, the guards don't listen. And they end up dragging Fiero into a cornfield to interrogate and torture him by a crucifixion. So he is pretty much, they have the pole, like the spear that they make it so his arms go around it. And they put him on a post like you might see a scarecrow. During the scene, Elphaba comes up from like a trap door. It's actually, I love the transition of a scene because it's Glinda going like, don't hurt him, Fiero, Fiero. And then the scene switching and Elphaba, like, so pretty much the scene goes back and Elphaba raises from the trap door, continuing the Fiero call that Glinda had just started. Now we're in No Good Deed Goes Unpunished where Elphaba is desperately trying to cast a spell to protect Fiero from crucifixion. Alphaba has now decided, fuck it. And sure, I'll live up to the title and reputation as the Wicked Witch. Fuck it all, basically is what she says. And no good deed goes unpunished. I've tried so hard to do everything right and help people, like release the animals, and which she's still going to try to do. And help Glinda, I've tried helping Fiero, I've tried helping Bach, I've tried helping Nessa Rose, but it always comes back to bite me in the ass. So you know what? Yeah, fuck it. I'm going to be wicked now. You want to see wicked? Here's wicked, bitches. One question haunts and hurts. Too much, too much to mention. Was I really seeking good or just seeking attention? Is that all good deeds are when looked at with an ice cold eye? How fucking empowering. Tell me, tell me all about it. I'm just going to say to you this. It's another one of those moments where you were run, you run off the stage, you go underneath the stage, you go through, you get on the elevator lift. I, I had a, you know, every single time I did it, I'd always blow my nose beforehand because I was like, oh, you <laughs> to go pray y'all. So I'd be like, put it in the tissue box. My poor dresser, Alyssa, God bless her. She'd be like, you have to, uh, thank God, thank God for my dresser. But then you'd, you know, you'd lift up and you're going up the elevator, which I think is I fucking conic. And it is, it's finally saying, it's that moment. And again, I always go to like women because we're always, it's the, you should be quieter. You should say, sorry. You should feel this way. You should do this. And it's her moment of being like, you know what? I'm a badass. I am a badass. I have nothing to apologize for. I'm going to give it to you straight. I'm going to tell you that. I have done so many things that I thought were great that wound up being in your eyes, really shitty. So if you're only going to look at me in a certain way, have at it. I can relate to that very much because just the business that I'm in, it is not an easy one to be in. There is a lot of hypocrisy associated with the business of show. I have seen it firsthand. I know what it is like to be pigeonholed and to be thought of as like, oh, she's a businesswoman, therefore she's a bitch. So I know what it feels like. I, I lean into the fact that I 
consider myself a strong person. I consider myself powerful in my own right. And I have nothing to apologize for about it. And if you don't like it, nobody, nobody's holding you hostage in my presence. Leave. Bye. Close the door. Live your journey. Live your life. I'm going to live mine. And I'm going to do it unapologetically. So it took me a long time to get here. And I think that's the self of a moment. I think this is her moment of being like, it took me forever to get to this point. If I've lost people along the way, oh, well. Oh, well, the right people are going to find, like everybody says in every, you know, Brene Brown, uh, Dr. Phil moment, the people who are meant to stay are going to stay in your life, despite your flaws, let's call it. And Elphaba's like, here's my flaws. I also made this dress in the woods. Bye. Thank you. I feel like this is the moment where Elphaba has gotten into her 30s. Yes, this is, this is the 30s. This is like... She, oh, this is, she's put a down payment on a house. She has an animal that she cares for and she keeps it alive. She has a bunch of plants that she keeps alive. And she like, she says to her friends, like, you can get on the bus. I'm driving the bus, beep, beep. Or you can get off the bus and get your own zip car. Like, why don't you just DIY, you guys? I'm, this is who I am. I'm wicked through and through since I cannot succeed. Fiero saving you I promise no good deed Will I attempt to do again Ever again No good deed Will I do People have found out, you know, Elphaba has made a reappearance. And we hear the song March of the Witch Hunters. And so in Oz's capital, citizens unite and they end up declaring war on Elphaba. People who are trying to rally these, the citizens, include a fully grown lion. Well, he's not really on stage, his just his tail is, but kind of speaking for the line is actually Bach who testifies and Bach right now is the tin man. And he's up on the side of um, like stage left yelling out, like she tried to, she turned me into tin and then she, and then he pulls on the lion's tail and he goes, if she hadn't coddled and saved the lion and let the lion stand up for himself, he wouldn't be such a coward. That's a cowardly lion. Exactly. Glinda, during this uh, revolt, uh, or this, uh, what's the word? It's very Beauty and the Beast, like, uh, kill the beast. Yeah, so it's, the, it's a mob. It's mob. That's the word. It's a mob. So the, he's rallying the mob. And during this rally, Glinda is pretty much saying, this is not how, this is not what's happened. And trying to stand up for Alphaba, but Madame Morrible grabs her and, and pretty much explains to her, like, no, you you need to put a happy smile on your face and you need to go lead this mob because it is in fact terrible. Like Alphabet is in fact terrible. And during this discussion, Glinda realizes that Madame Warble is the one who can control the weather and is the one who ended up killing Nessa via a tornado. So horrified, Glinda flees to try and warn Alphaba of the angry mob who is set off to find her at Kiamoko in Hawaii. <laughs> so we're now we're in the castle scene. Alphaba is walking around Ki- Kiamoko, 
Hawaii, maybe. I don't know. It's definitely her castle, though. And now she's got all the flying monkeys. Monkeys, monkeys. He's protecting them against the fucking wizard who was trying to hurt them. So Elphaba is here, and now she has Dorothy, which you don't see Dorothy. You hear a voice. And she's basically yelling, and uh, or Dorothy's crying, and Elphaba's like, shut up. Oh, my God. But she's refusing to release Dorothy until she gets those shoes back because, again, it's the only thing she has left of her sister. Glinda shows up and tries to tell Elphaba of the dangers that are coming her way. Elphaba refuses to leave until she receives a letter saying that Fero is dead. So she's like, nope, I'm not going anywhere until you tell me that Fero's dead. And Glinda can't do that because I don't think she knows what's happened to him yet either, right? I think Glinda says something along the lines of, like, he was in a field. I, th- I think maybe she tells her that something happened. I don't know. Elphaba would already know. Knowing that there's danger ahead, Elphaba comes to a truce with Glinda in the song For Good. Just look at you, you can do all I couldn't do, Glinda. So now it's up to you, for both of us. I love this song. This is the most classic duet song. I've sung this as a duet, I think, like four times. Still probably would sing it. (laughs) But in the song, the two of them forgive each other and acknowledge the mistakes that they made, but they pretty much are like, it doesn't even matter that we made mistakes because I love you and we're always going to be friends. And Elphaba ends up giving Glinda the grimmery before embracing her and saying goodbye as the mob arrives. There's flame to share and the song presumably a bajillion times is it still a special song for you or is it just kind of like oh it's the song we sang I'm over it Uh, no I, I never actually felt that way I always I I think the reason it's so important is because it is bittersweet and almost melancholy it's it's not one of those songs where it's you're putting a bow on something and wrapping it up and saying like I love you. It's it's a really melancholy moment because you're you're talking to two women who have have risen to power in their own right. One is not better than the other. It's just they're they're two different people. And we have all had those moments in our life where you look at somebody who maybe you grew up with or you've been friends with and you go your different ways and you're always still able to sort of pick up where you left off, but your friendship is not the same as it was. It's one of those things where you can respect somebody, you can love them for who they are, but you don't have to remain a constant friend every single day and there's nothing wrong with that. The song begins again with them sort of fighting and then coming to terms with the fact that they are going to be living different lives and they have to be okay with it. It can easily put itself into the box of like, you stole my guy. I hate you. But that's not what it is. It's, it's, not, it's not that. It's sort of like, I didn't understand you. I don't, I still don't completely understand what it is that you're doing but I know it means something to you therefore I'm on board go live your life please be safe that's what it is it and it's a beautiful iconic moment for two women 
to have respect for each other through their differences, period. That's what it, that's for me what it was. Every single night, you just remind yourself, at least I can only speak for myself here, I could remind myself of the fact that there is some girl in the audience who's either seeing the show for the first time or it could be her 50th time. And it's a moment for women to watch other women support other women. It is very easy for us to say, I don't want to support you because you're, you're in my lane and I want to be successful and I don't want anybody else to be as successful as me. That ain't how it is. That's just not what it is. We either, supporting each other is going to make us better people as women. Supporting each other through our differences is going to make us succeed instead of knocking each other down. And that's what this moment is. Linda goes and hides like behind the staircase that she entered yeah. in. So the mob has arrived and Alphaba tells Glinda to hide and Glinda is watching helplessly uh, as a bucket of water is being tossed on Alphaba, quote unquote, melting her. Quote said, unquote. Quote unquote. Were you the same kind of dramatic melty every night or did you change up the melting screams whenever you did melt i would always change it up but it's a really good way to warm yourself up or down i would absolutely change it up and i would change up like how i melt it's all very like you'll still get notes you guys you have to realize like you get notes on every single show and so you have to be like okay i mean like i've done over a thousand certainly over a thousand shows at wicked so if there's something fun to be able to like change it up every single night i don't like doing the same thing always i have really long fingers so like my my melt would always be like and because you could just see it all. But it was always so fun because you'd melt and like be on the ground and then like a stage hand would come save your life and they'd give you their hand and you'd be like, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> then yet another quick change, so. In the productions I've seen, they have a silhouette. So this is done behind a screen. So Glinda is behind like a staircase. You can see her watching something happen behind a screen. So it's shadow silhouettes. What's kind of heart-wrenching about this scene is they pull a screen like a screen's pulled and Alphaba I think is the one who even pulls it saying like Glinda hide and then she pulls the screen and goes behind it the silhouettes happen and then Chistery is the one who unveils the screen and the hat is sitting where Alphaba melted with the with the bottle mm-hmm. and she goes over to it and she looks at it and the scene's really heart-wrenching and la, 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 la. But Glinda goes back to Oz where she confronts the wizard with the bottle. Now, this bottle she has recognized because it's the same bottle that the wizard had actually offered Glinda a drink from earlier in the show. It turns out that he discovers, wizard, the wizard discovers that he is in fact Alphaba's biological father and he is the reason that she is green and has magic in her. I was because of this, because he had, he had an affair with Alphaba's mom. 
And he's, he's from a different world than Alphaba's mother. He flew in from our world, presumably. Hands ass. Hands ass. And then he had sexual relations with that woman from Oz. So Alphaba has her powers. Madame Morrible comes to this recognition, right? Like, yes, yes. Madame Morrible is the one who kind of explains what's happening. And the wizard breaks down because he just like... He just did a lot of shit to his biological daughter who he didn't know he was a daughter, and then he finds out he was a daughter. Well, Glinda ends up banishing him, making him resign respectfully. Thus, uh. his sudden need to leave Oz with Dorothy in his hot air balloon. And <laughs> she puts Madame Warble in prison. Meanwhile, da, 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 back at the castle, surprise! Fiero is the scarecrow. <gasps> Fiero was turned into a scarecrow out in the cornfield as he's being lifted up on the crucifix. During the spell, uh, during no good deed. During the spell, during no good deed. Oh my God, it makes sense. He's a scarecrow because he's in a cornfield. Oh my God, makes sense. He comes back, he looks around like all sneaky-like and sneaks back into the castle onto the spot where Alphaba has melted, quote, melted, and knocks on a trap door. And guess who pops out? Alphaba? Alphaba pops out. That's right. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Were you down there the whole time, or did you leave and come back? Yep, you're down there. Just yeah, I mean, it's another change, run around, get, you know. You have only a certain amount of time, but, like, yeah, you're down there. You're, like, cocooned. <laughs> it's, it is athletic, you guys. This show and roll is the most athletic thing I've ever done. Truly, when people are like, it's not that athletic. I'm like, listen, Mr. Football, why don't you take a hot second and do what it is that I do? Go cram yourself in the trap door. Just go cram yourself, sing, you know, sing 62 songs, only leave stage for two minutes, have at it, boss, in a heel on a raked stage. Have at it. Alphaba does regret that she'll never see Glinda again and is sad that she can't tell her best friend that she is actually alive. And the music starts to return to its starting point as, you know, Alphaba is looking over here and Glinda's singing this way, but Glinda doesn't know Alphaba's alive. And she's like, who can say if I've been changed for the better? And then musical theme, musical theme, and Alphaba runs off with Fiero. As the music comes back into the opening song, we end where we started, and Glinda is finishing the story and promises the people of Oz that she will properly earn her title as Glinda the Good. The people are celebrating while Glinda mourns, and Alphaba and Fiero leave Oz. Duh. Rapid fire. 
I love this question. One of our Patreon member questions, Noah, he, we ask Friend every Noah. single time. I love this question. What is the craziest slash worst slash oh my God, is this really happening right now moment that you've had on stage? On stage, okay. I would say when I tripped myself oh, no. during the monkey release. Um, I tripped myself. I literally um, was wearing my Act 2 dress, which is 40 pounds, and I stepped over my dress. I absolutely tripped myself as I was giving the monkey spell, and I did the entire thing from the ground. Oh. I was like, if I'm going to, let me just pretend that it's supposed to be from the ground. Everybody laughed so hard on stage. I think people probably peed their pants, <laughs> including the conductor at the time. But, but I, you know, again, live theater kids. Literally. Which Disney princess are you? Ariel. Yes. Craziest special skill. I mean, I could touch my tongue to my nose. Let's all do that together. You ready? Great. Mm, Yay. Special. (laughs) (laughs) Chelsea can't do it. That's a good one. That works. Word association. A five, six, seven, eight. Hit it. Perfect. (laughs) What's your favorite swear word? Shit. Shit. That's the first shit we've gotten. I oh. get a lot of fucks. That is it for me. I love it. That's my mother. She did it to me. That's why. She was That's why. credit where credit's due. Love it. Ma- Mama Basque. Mama yep. Basque. Okay, so here's a million dollars. Not really. I'm sorry. But you have to give it to someone or something. Who, what, where would you give it? Mm. I would give it to children who are struggling Right now, like I would give, I would homeless children, LGBTQ children who've been kicked out, trans kids who again have been kicked out, like very covenant house situation. Um, you know, any any kids who don't have the the opportunity or chance to advocate for themselves. Oh, lovely. Yes. What's your favorite go-to drink? Seltzer. <laughs> Seltzer. Do you have any new upcoming projects? Um, I am doing my uh, two live shows coming up. Uh, one of them is a private show. The other one is um, being filmed and will be available um, online for those who buy tickets. Um, I'm filming it on August 27th. It's my first live Coco show since the pandemic started. So it's actually happening in a club and social distanced with a real live you know, Mary Mitchell Campbell, who's my musical director, and she's going to be there. And my friend Marissa Rosen is going to be there doing... Um, some background harmonies and I have a special guest or two. Finally, I'm releasing a holiday EP of three songs um, that will be, you know, right around Christmas time. And I'm going to put out a single of an original song. It's all happening in the Coco. Queen, yes. For it. Also say hi to Mary Mitchell Campbell for us because Emily is obsessed. I went to Furman. He's kind of a legend. She's it for me. Mary Mitchell is just, thank God we met doing Finding Neverland and we've been, you know, two peas in a pod ever since. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I guess you can say Mary Mitchell Campbell if you'd like, but who do you know that we should interview on Wines and Dolls? Actually, one, somebody who you should interview, this is a twofer, okay? First person is Asmarek Geber Mikkel. You might know her, you might not know her. She's like one of the coolest chameleon type actors, um, black woman, uh, who is doing so much right now. You'd be like so incredibly impressed with her and her Broadway resume. She's like a gypsy. And the second person is 
there's a, actually I should say, there's a musical that I'm also working on right now, um, a new musical called Jeanette, and it's based on the women's voting movement, the suffragettes, and the, the she's, Jeanette Rankin is the first, is the woman who put the 19th Amendment into fruition, um, you know, a hundred years ago. And we started it at the O'Neill, where In the Heights began, and like all these huge, you know, Avenue Q, everything, you know, things begin at the O'Neill, for those who've heard of it. We did it last summer at the O'Neill. Um, and the writer, the music and lyrics, she's a former Eliza in Hamilton. Her name's Ari Afsar. She, this show, you guys, we're starting it next week via Zoom. And it is so good. It is so good. I'm so excited. And I don't say that lightly, but like the this girl is like, and it's um, the script is written by Lauren Gunderson, who's won the Pulitzer Prize as an author. And she's written, I think, the most plays that any woman has ever written. So like, <laughs> what a hack. Yeah. And... And but anyway, it's like it's all women. The creative team is women. It's like it it's just but Ari is like a spectacular writer that you wouldn't think like Eliza is gonna write a musical. And she did, and it's badass and baller and like absolutely like spoken word hip hop, but all about the nineteenth amendment. So she's you she's worth she's worth looking up. It's gonna be something. This is gonna yeah. be yeah. I, okay. Cool. I have I have those names down. Might be like, hey, I want to connect. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. We have one more question for you for rapid fire. Mm-hmm. Um, what other musical would you like to cover on Wines and Dolls in the future? Funny girl. Funny girl. Yay! Yeah. We're gonna wrap this sucker up. So, if you enjoyed this episode and you would like to have prioritized questions for our guests on these episodes, you can find us on Patreon.com slash wines and dolls to become a Patreon member. Uh, tier starting at $2 and going all the way up to 20. You have prioritized questions, I believe at a $15 level. We would like to thank our patrons, including Allison, Noah, Brandon, and Sydney, Mama Lang, Mama Keen, Mama Hardy, and Andy. Woo! Yay, we love our patrons. We just put one of our interns on posting more stuff on Patreon. So will be even more stuff on Patreon coming up. If you would like to support us in other ways, you can support around our swag at www.zazzle.com slash wines underscore and underscore dolls underscore swag. If you enjoyed this episode, please go onto whatever platform you're listening on because you're already there and press subscribe. You might as well. You might as well. You're already here. As our post just said, the sexiest thing you can do is press subscribe. If you felt like you had a five-star experience, please scroll down on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Um, you press that, those five stars and then write us a little note. We love to read them. If you would like to contact us with encouragement or anything else, you can find us or you can email us at winesanddolls at gmail.com. If you have a listener story, we do have a listener story episode coming up very soon. So please submit your uh, listener stories either via email at, uh, by emailing winesanddolls at gmail.com or submitting through our Google form link in bio. We release listener episodes every month, once a month, the first Monday of every month. If you would like to find us on social media, you can find us on all social media at winesanddolls.com. 
And if you're interested in finding Jessica Vosk on social media, I highly recommend checking out her Instagram. I think that's how Chelsea and I really got to know her was through her Instagram stories. Yeah, she's fantastic. I've just been following her career through Instagram and Facebook. She's just, she's, like I said, a fucking delight. She's great. She's fun to listen to. She has some really fun, interesting content. She she says so many witty things that I kind of put into my everyday vernacular on her Instagram story. Like the cocoa. And whatever, I, whatever. Whatever, whatever. I feel like she needs t-shirts if she doesn't already have them. I think people have made her t-shirts that say those things. She also has a debut album available called Wild and Free anywhere that you stream music, or you can find it on her website at www.jessicavosk.com. And as you just heard, she also has a single coming out and a Christmas album coming out soon too. So check that shit out. I'm like crying a little bit. I'm so excited for those. I wanted her to have a Christmas album forever. Gosh, her voice is literally butter. It's butter. So good. And with that, I'm Chelsea. I'm Emily. And I'm Jessica Vosk. And this is Wines and Dolls. Cover your wine hole. Music on this episode is from Wicked, original Broadway cast recording released in December 2003 by Universal Music, and the Guys and Dolls, original Broadway cast recording, released in 1992 by BMG Music. Both can be found in our show notes and be listened to on Spotify or wherever you stream your music. <laughs>